And then uh, uh, as we get closer to the end of March, then after he leaves, uh, probably within a week or so after he leaves, we'll start all the demo on the uh, sanctuary there. So, um, so why, don't we, uh, why don't we pray and we'll get into the word tonight then. So Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for uh, the spirit of God that delivered your words, Father, to people on the earth who would write them down uh, and then care for them uh, as precious commodities and that you watched over those words, uh, Father, for so many years, centuries even, to protect them, to keep them in the church to where they could become disseminated to all of your church. And so, Father, we thank you for doing that and then for infusing your word with the very life of God. Uh, they are precious to us, Father. Uh, and we rely upon the Spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to grant unto us wisdom and revelation from your word. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. We appreciate the Lord's goodness in, in, um, uh, in his words. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We'll get started tonight. So we're continuing our uh, path through the book of Philippians. And, um, you know, it was, it's been many years ago, but the Lord just put it on my heart to uh, use Wednesday nights to do a verse-by-verse uh, -verse study. And the thing I like about the verse-by-verse -verse studies is you kind of have to read all the verses, right? And, um, you know, you come across verses that maybe you've never really studied because, you know, like anything, there are certain foundational verses that mean a lot to you know, our particular circles, you know, things like faith and healing, uh, uh, and that we will focus on those many times, which are good and fine, but um, it's also good to go through some of these verses that maybe there's a little dust on them in your Bible and, and uh, to see what they mean and how we can apply them because all of the, all of the Bible is valuable to us, amen? Uh, and so, so we got down here to, um, I think we'd gotten down to, uh, uh, well, where Paul was talking about whether he was going to stay or go. And uh, so we talked about that and how that uh, really in that regards, we get to choose, right? Uh, or that we have a right to choose. Now, I know that many Christians don't choose. Many Christians are really kind of victims of nature and victims of old age and suffer, you know, at the ends of their life, unlike uh, or not unlike, but like really the rest of the world, right? Because the rest of the world is just subject to whatever comes their way. Uh, and much of the church it also believes that. In fact, you know, people, uh, Jared and I were having discussions about people who believe in um, the sovereignty of God to the point that there's no free will, that man doesn't have a free will, uh, which is really an absurd kind of doctrine. I mean, uh, I, I, really, I really have a hard time that any intelligent person would really believe that, you know. I mean, I know we can disagree on doctrine, uh, and, uh, you know, there's plenty of times when people disagree with doctrine that I, that I hold dear, I can see their points, you know, even though they're wrong, you know, they'll find out when they get to heaven that, you know, that I was right all along, but, you know, that's another discussion. But something like free will, which is kind of the fundamental to the entire Bible, right? All of faith is based upon the premise of free will. Without a free will, there is no faith because you have to choose to believe, right? It's not, God doesn't make you believe, you have to choose to believe. So the premise of all faith is a free will. Uh, and um, why you would want to get out of that, uh, I don't understand, right? Uh, and so uh, the, the ones who don't believe in free will also believe in predestination that God has decided who's going to make it, who's not. And he's decided that. He, it's not that he knows that, which he does, but he's decided that, which, of course, he, he hasn't, but they think that. Uh, and, of course, in that mentality, the advantage of that mentality is that you are never responsible for your actions, right? I mean, because it used to be, Flip Wilson would say, the devil made me do it, right? But in the, the non-free will people, God made them do it. Uh, I mean, it was God's will that they did it, right? And so, I don't know. I, you know, I don't understand that mentality because uh, I can't read a single verse in the Bible without me realizing I have a choice in the matter, right? And just like these verses we talked about where Paul said um, back up in verse um, uh, 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to, part, to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Needless to abide in the flesh is more needful you, for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy in faith. And so Paul is saying, look, I've got a choice here. I'm, I'm stuck between two choices. I don't know which one to do. Or I know, I know which one I'm going to do, but they're two valid choices, right? Stay and help you or go and be with the Lord, you know, which is far better. 
He said, but I'm going to stay with you. Well, that's a choice, right? He chose, you know, he didn't say God told him that, uh, uh, that uh, or God made him live longer. It was his choice, right? I'm going to stay with you all. We talked about Peter. We talked about Jesus. They all came to the same conclusion that they know uh, when their time was up. And Jesus said, I lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down and I pick it up. He said, this commandment have I received of my father. Uh, and so Jesus laid his, nobody, he was not the victim. Jesus was not the victim of the, the, Roman, uh, the Roman guards or the Jewish insurrection. Uh, Jesus uh, died by choice. Nobody killed him. Uh, and so I know they're responsible for that because, you know, somebody had to had to turn him in and, and uh, you know, Judas had to had to be a traitor. Uh, and he said it would be better if you hadn't even been born. But uh, but Judas had a choice, didn't he? Jesus didn't have to do it. Nobody made him do it. The devil didn't make him do it. He chose to do it. Uh, and so uh, so at the end of our lives, we really have a promise from the Lord that if we if we choose to exercise it by faith, that we can choose when we leave this earth. Uh, now we have to believe it, and, and you really need to believe it um, early on, right? You can't wait till the last day and start believing then because, you know, the inertia of the sin that's in the world and, you know, all of our bodies are living in a world that's fallen by sin. We need to exercise faith to keep our bodies healthy until the day, until we, the day that we choose to pass. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be just, you're not going to be able to come, you know, unless there's a, just a miracle. Uh, and so, and I don't know, I know what happens a lot of times is people will negate their faith by uh, saying things, well, you just, you know, when you get older, things just stop working, right? And, you know, things like that. And, uh, and we kind of say it humorously and um, uh, we kind of joke around, but, you know, you have to be careful about using your words to, that, will, that will be against your faith. Amen. Uh, so Paul decided that he was going to stay. He could have left. He decided to stay. Um, and of course, the Lord never promised us to live forever on the earth, but he did promise us long life. And so until we're satisfied. So Paul was telling him, I'm not satisfied with where you are spiritually. So I'm going to stay and help you some more until you get to a point where uh, I believe that you're that you're uh, where you need to be spiritually. Then I can go. And that's really what he was telling them. Right. Uh, and so then we got down to uh, verse 27 and verse 27 says uh, only. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so there's some, there's some good inf information in this particular um, uh, this verse here. We talked about how the conversation there is your citizenship, right? So he's really talking about uh, uh, other times when you see conversation, it means your manner of life. In this particular case, it's talking about your citizenship, really, as it relates to your, that you are a citizen of heaven. Uh, you know, as a, as a natural citizen, we have certain responsibilities. Uh, we have to, uh, or we should vote, right? We should pay our taxes. We should, you know, do whatever, you know, live by the laws that are enacted in this country, right? Uh, as long as they are just laws. And if they're unjust laws, like you churches, you have to open up uh, and and do crazy things, right? Allow anybody to use your facilities or, you know, just uh, silly things like that. That would go against uh, our uh, doctrine. Well, we're not going to do that, right? There's no laws like that in Tennessee. Uh, but it would not be unreasonable for uh, the government to say, hey, if, it's, if anybody is uh, in your church in a public way, then you have to accommodate that, right? Uh, and um, I remember there was some story about uh, this woman was uh, she was on a, on the choir at the church, and um, so she she apparently had some physical problems of not being able to get up on the stage and join the choir, and so they made an accommodation of putting like a microphone down, you know, so she didn't have to go up the steps to the to the choir loft there, and she pitched a fit and sued the church to get them to, to make it where they she, it was compliant with you know. Uh, her handicap, right? Where they had to build a big ramp and all this stuff, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, there's just enough rebellion to me to be like, you know, we gave you a microphone, you know, and as a pastor, I just fire you, you know, and you can't be on the choir, you know. I mean, it just, uh, who does stuff like that, right? Uh, and that was just, a, that was a member of the church, right? And it's suing the church so she can get uh, a ramp built on her behalf, you know. 
even though it was, it was a reasonable accommodation to put a microphone down there for her, you know. Uh, and um, uh, uh, I just can't imagine, you know, the government trying to come in and tell us what to do. And, and um, uh, you know, any laws that, as long as they're just, we're really morally obligated to follow, right? So paying your taxes, for example. We may not like the fact that, that uh, Washington, D.C. spends money like a drunken sailor, uh, and does all kinds of things, you know, that uh, they could do a way better job of spending our money, even though they think it's their money, but it's our money. Uh, but, you know, the law is the law, right? There's nothing unethical about uh, collecting taxes from the citizenship. In fact, the Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 13, to pay your taxes, right? Uh, and so, so I pay my taxes. Well, don't you think the taxes are too high? Well, they're, I mean... The Lord only requires 10%. Why does the government require 30%, right? Or whatever they do. Um, I mean, the Lord gets by with 10%, right? Uh, and so, uh, but that's because they're not nearly as smart as the Lord, right? If they were smart as the Lord, they could get by with 10%, but they're not nearly as smart as the Lord. So they got to have 20, 30, you know, of course, uh, you know, the progressive income tax goes all the way up to whatever it goes up to. I think it's 40% now or something like that. At one time, it was like 90%. Of course, nobody ever paid 90% of taxes, but you know, the, on the law, on the books, it was that way. Uh, so if that's the law, then that's the law. So we'll, I'll pay my taxes. But the law also has loopholes, right? Not really loopholes, but if you give charitable contributions, then you can take that off your taxes. Well, then I'm, I'll do that, right? And, and other expenses, you know, interest rates and different things, you know, as long as it's legal, I got no problem. Now, I'm not going to um, do funny business and lie and make up stuff. In fact, uh, most of the time when I do my taxes, there are things I could probably take as a deduction, but it'd be hard to prove, you know, without a bunch of documentation that I don't want to spend the time to do, so I just don't do it. It's easier to not do it, pay a little bit extra taxes, and uh, than it would be to try to finagle. And so, um, because from my perspective, if the law is to pay taxes, then I'll pay taxes, and I believe God that he'll provide me, me the ability to pay the taxes, amen? Uh, and so, I think I told you I paid my property taxes the other day. I had a whole stack of stuff to pay property taxes on. And the lady's like, oh, I'm going to take all your money, you know. And I, and I told her something to the effect of, of, you know, this is the privilege of living in a free society. And she probably thought I was crazy, right? What's wrong with you? You know, who's, you know, who thinks that way? Well, it is, you know, if the Lord's my provider, then, then it's just a thing, right? I mean, you know, and could they do better on their taxes? I mean, I don't know where our tax money goes, you know, it sure doesn't go to fix potholes sometimes, right? But, uh, um, uh, but, I don't run the government, you know, and so I just do what I'm supposed to do and, that, and I leave the rest of it to the Lord. So, uh, so all of that to say that this conversation, the citizenship is really, our citizenship is really in heaven, right? Our, we are only visitors here. We have a permanent citizenship in heaven. Uh, and so uh, he said, let your citizenship be as it becometh uh, or comely to the gospel, right? So in other words, we are a reflection of the gospel, our lives and how we act as citizens of heaven are a reflection of the gospel to the people on this earth. Uh, and, and we should be good examples uh, of our citizenship in heaven to people on the earth. Amen. Uh, and, um, and I think, you know, the vast majority of the church strives to be good citizens, right? Strive to be good, uh, good uh, examples of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, of the good news. Uh, and he says, and that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit and in one mind. Uh, and so Paul is talking about the unity that the church needs to have. And, and notice that when he's talking about the unity, he, he said it's more than just the spirit, which, you know, of course, that's the root of our unity is that we all believe in the Lord Jesus. We all believe in the blood of Jesus. We all believe in the name of Jesus. And this church, we all believe in the healing power of Jesus. Right. Um, uh, and, and the, the, the fulfilling of the infilling of the Spirit of God uh, with speaking in tongues, uh, you know, in that regards, you know, we would all be in spiritual unity, right? Uh, and for the most part, you know, there may be some nuanced things that the, you may see differently than I do in doctrine, and I think that's healthy and I think that's normal. Uh, but it'd be really odd for you to attend this church. I don't believe in healing. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in speaking in tongues. I don't believe in uh, mir uh, the Lord speaking to us. Uh, well, why are you at this church, right? I mean, you know, there's no unity there. Uh, and and um, I've had people tell me, I don't believe in speaking in tongues is for everybody. 
okay, but why are you here? You know, because we do, right? And, and, and we've got a thousand doc, uh, verses that prove it, you know. And, and to me, if I can't prove to you from the Word of God and change your heart and mind about something, why are you here? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not mad at anybody, but, but uh, you know, if it was just something like, you know, uh, who the Antichrist is. Well, do any of us know that? Well, nobody knows who that is. So you may disagree with me who the Antichrist is. Of course, I don't really know who he is, right? So uh, if you think of anything, then if you think he's anybody in particular, then we would disagree because I don't know who he is. Uh, but uh, if it's something like that that we can't prove, well, fine, right? Not a big deal. But if I can give you 100 scriptures on healing, and you still don't believe in healing, you know, I, I, you know people who just don't believe anything the, the pastor's teaching? I, I've known people that, you know, I used to go to church and people like that. I don't believe any of this stuff, you know. Well, why are you here? Well, they got good food, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, I like the singing. Okay, great, you know. But it'd be really hard to be, to strive to be in one spirit if, if nothing I can do from the pulpit can change your heart, right? Uh, uh, and so it's not that we're always going to agree. It's that, given the weight of the word, we should be able to come into agreement, right? Um, and um, and I've, I've seen it plenty of times when, I think I told you about uh, one person's, uh, they were talking about something and, uh, and they said something about running to the mercy seat. I said, well, you know, we don't run to the mercy seat. You know, we run to the throne of grace. That's what the New Testament says, right? Uh, and then, uh, and I just kind of said it casually like that and they called me later. Well, you, you know, you need to show me what you're talking about, you know? So I went to the book of Hebrews and said, well, here's, you know, uh, the mercy seat was Old Testament, right? Where the sacrifices and the blood was put on there. Well, that was, we no longer do sacrifices, right? Anybody dying anymore for sins? Any mammals being murdered for sins? No mammals being murdered for sins. So the mercy seat doesn't exist anymore. Now uh, the book of Hebrews says, come to, the, come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we not only get mercy at the throne of grace, which is what you would got at the, at the mercy seat, but you also get grace. So it's a better deal, right? So before you only got mercy, which is great, but not very sufficient. Uh, now we get mercy and we get grace. So there's no need for a mercy seat over your, if you already have the throne of grace. Uh, and so, so I went through all of that doctrine, showed them in the word of God. And, and they said, well, I still believe in the mercy seat. I said, well, brother, uh, it's empty. Nobody's there. Come over here where, where all the rest of us are at, you know? Uh, and, um, <laughs> and I couldn't convince them. Uh, and, I, and I just... Sometimes I struggle with that. Now, you know, look, if we got differences of opinion, and I, there have been people that I've talked to in, in the church, you know, that they see something differently, and, and I, you know, I can see your point, you know. I disagree with that point maybe a little bit, but not real, real strong. Uh, you know, I've got my opinion, but, uh, you know, I thought that their opinions were valid. Uh, and, um, uh, and so uh, in that regard, you know, I can agree uh, to be, uh, or I can disagree without being disagreeable. But the church needs to be of one spirit, Right. Uh, and I think really most churches, at least on the fundamentals, should be in one spirit, right? I mean, if you don't believe in Jesus, why are you even at church at all, right? Uh, but um, I think most people that go to a church will, will be able to hook up in the spirit realm with, with that church. But he also said of one mind, and that word mind there is soul, right? It's the suke. So he's got both spirit and soul here. Uh, and, and that's interesting, right? Because it takes more effort to get in the, into unity in the soulless realm and the intellectual realm and, and the emotional realm than it does in the spirit because these things are not subject necessary to doctrine, right? It's, well, what, what flavor of church you have? You know, what kind of music do you play? Well, there's no doctrine that says what music you should play. But um, uh, so every church is going to play music that they like, right? Um, and so uh, do you like that music? I don't like that music. Well, Okay, then, then you can't be in unity in, in soul, right? It can't be unity in mind. Uh, and I remember, you know, when I ran sound years ago for my pastor, I used to think he liked Southern gospel music. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan, right? The real twangy Southern gospel, you know, and, uh, uh, and look, you love Southern gospel music. I mean, I know some people, you know, I think my friend Jerry loves the twangier, the better, you know. I mean, if, if he can get six syllables out of one word, you know, that's the best thing in the world for him, right? He loves it, and more power to him, right? I mean, it just nails on a chalkboard to me, right? Uh, and, so, uh, uh, and so he can like it, you know. Now, I question his, you know, I was going to say his sanity, but I just question his taste in music, I guess. So. Uh, but, um, but that's fine, right? Uh, but... Uh, so I used to think my pastor liked that, and I didn't like it at all, you know, especially when I was real young. I liked kind of 
you know, head banging, long hair, Christian rock music, you know, you can really see that now, right? I'm just, you know, me rocking out all the time. Uh, and so I finally realized, you know, that's pretty carnal. Most of it's just carnality, right? But, you know, we all get to grow up someday, right? And so, but what I got to learn, and so, of course, I didn't do anything about that. I didn't just like burn all the Southern Gospel tapes because back then we had tapes, right? Cassette tapes, and I'd have played tapes that he liked. Uh, what I came to realize, it wasn't that he liked Southern Gospel music, is that it was that he liked anointed music. And there's a big difference, right? Because you can have Southern Gospel music that's anointed, uh, anybody ever remember David Ingalls? David Ingalls used to be a real big uh, musician back in the 70s, 80s, a lot of full gospel businessmen meetings, you know, a lot of Brother Hagin meetings that he would go to. And, and he was kind of this, this uh, uh, traveling uh, musician. And there's, I mean, I could probably can tell you how many songs that we may even sing today still that he wrote. You know, maybe they've been updated and, and uh, played with, with a different style of music. Uh, and so he kind of had that 70s, 80s, you know, kind of style of music, right? Not necessarily a big fan, but he was anointed. I mean, you know, the, uh, he would sing and play uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you could tell. And so the flavor wasn't necessarily what I liked, you know, the particular style, but the, I do like the anointing. Uh, and he was anointed to sing and to play music. Uh, and so, uh, so in that, I could still be in unity in mind, right? Okay. We can agree that if it's anointed, then it's good. Because, it, I mean, if it's possible for Southern Gospel music to be anointed, then praise God, you know, we play it, right? Uh, and so, uh, and look, I, I really don't care if you like Southern Gospel music. It's, it's fine with me, right? He likes old school, like country music, you know, the twangies, you know. The, I mean, the, the longer they can pull on that uh, guitar string and twang it the most, you know, the, he likes it better, right? Uh, and so, uh, but uh, Paul is saying here, that, uh, that he, he desires to hear uh, that they are standing, face, uh, standing fast in one spirit and in one mind. Uh, and so really, you know, as, a, as any local church, you know, the majority of the people, you're never going to get everybody, but the majority of people should have the same goals in mind, right? You know, it's like for this church and ministry, my heart's desire is for this church to be a church where we teach the word of God and the spirit of God is free to move. Uh, and, and that's the primary goal in my heart. That's what I believe the Lord has sent me here to do is primarily teach the word of God to the church uh, here in this location. Uh, and, uh, and I've had people come in and say, well, I want you to teach more end time events. I, that's, not my, that's not me. You know, that's, I'm not the guy for that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm, that's not me. You know, I'm not the guy for that. Uh, there's other people who do that. Their churches will be all about end time events, you know, and all the stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine. They'll, they can give you 27 uh, prophecies about how Magog is inv invading the East and, you know, and God's going to rise up here. And then, you know, uh, I mean, they tell you about all this stuff, right? That's not me. I'm not that guy. And, and uh, I could study that, but the Lord's always had me studying the New Testament, you know, and faith and today living victorious in this earth and overcoming our flesh and living by faith. And, um, uh, and so in that, you know, uh, then, that, then that's this church, right? And so... Uh, to be in unity in one heart and one mind, you'd have to, uh, in one spirit and one mind, you know, it, it's not just doctrinal, but it's, is this church doing the things that, that uh, where I want to be, right, from, a, from just, from an agreement standpoint. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we're going to do the Strawberry Festival, and we, we give out um, waters to people and give away stuff, and uh, we do some things like that, you know, we, in the fall, we'll do another uh, free yard sale, and and we use that really as an opportunity to, to just talk to people and, and to bless them and to bless the community uh, because my heart's always to be a giver, right? So they said, I had one person come to me and say, you know, when the strawberry festival comes, why don't we sell a bunch of stuff? We can sell baked goods and raise some money. And, and um, I can't do that. I, I just, I, I can't sell stuff for this church to be prosperous. You know, my faith is, for you all to be prosperous and for me to be prosperous and the church then prospers because we're prosperous. And then we can take that prosperity and we could be a blessing to the community and show the goodness of God. If we're just hawking uh, 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 brownies like everybody else, then how are we different than anybody else? Right? I want to be a giving church. I want to, you know, this church, when we leave this building, we give things away, right? And we, so we give a lot of things away. Uh, and, uh, and now every church is in that way. And I got no problem if church wants to open up a burger stand down the street and sell hamburgers and, 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 and uh, 
bottles of water for $6 a bottle. I mean, I've really got no problem with that at all. I, I don't think there's a doctrinal issue. It's not a biblical issue. It's just of one mind, right? It's what they want to do. Uh, and, uh, and so no problem with that at all. I'm not going to rail against somebody because none of it, basically it's none of my business. Uh, but for this church, that's not my heart. My heart is I want to give. When we go out there and the, wor- and the world's coming near this church, I want to show them that we give, right? That we are, we're a blessing. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and so in that, can we be of one mind in that, right? Can the local church be of one mind? Uh, and I think, you know, most of the time when people are at a church, they will hopefully hook up from a spirit of unity with the pastor's vision that the Lord had given to them. Uh, and if that's, if that's what they want to do, then, they, then they'll participate in that, right? Uh, I think it'd be really odd, and I have seen it plenty of times where they don't like anything the church is doing, right? They don't like what the pastor's doing. They don't like, you know, I mean, I've had people tell me they, don't, they think I'm wrong to wear a tie. And, you know, it's like, of all the things that are important in this world, that's important to you, right? That I'm wearing a tie. Not that you don't wear a tie, but that I'm wearing a tie. How does my wearing a tie affect you? I don't know. But, uh, but um, uh, so, you know, I, I wonder about things like that because, you know, when I was with my pastor, it wasn't that I could agree with everything that he did. You know, there were some things that he did that I couldn't hook up with from a biblical standpoint. But for the most part, I was, you know, I was in his corner, right? If he needed help, I was there to help him uh, because I wanted to be in one spirit and in one mind with him, right? So, so it really takes, I think it takes more effort to be in unity in your mind with the local church because um, they're not doctrinal issues. It's just, can you agree with whatever the Lord has placed in that church as the vision for that church? Um, and, you know, some churches, they're big on... on um, uh, maybe missions. Some churches are big on, on food programs, right? Some churches are big, you know, at, uh, uh, at uh, maybe youth ministry or, you know, and I got no problems with any of those things. And um, of course, I think as, as any church grows, you typically would add a lot more of those things uh, as you have the personnel to do that. Um, but still, you know, some churches are going to be really, really focused on that area, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I know uh, I think like Miss Sue's church that uh, she's a member of down in um, uh, in Chattanooga. They have a food program, but they cook the food, right? So other other churches, I know churches here in this area, they'll get donated food and they put together food boxes to give it away. Well, they cook food, right? That's a lot of work. I mean, you got to have a big kitchen. You got people that can actually cook, right? I mean, you don't want me. You running that food program, right? Uh, and so you know, be like all beanie weenies and open up the can of you know Dinty Moore beef stew, right? Uh, in fact, uh, when we bought the building next door, I don't know how in the world to get out, but I had multiple people in the community say, oh, I heard you're opening up a homeless shelter there, like a homeless, you know, food thing there to cook food for the homeless and stuff. And look, I got no problem cooking food for the homeless, but I'm thinking, well, who's going to do that? I'm not going to run that. You know, think I'm going to spend, you know, all the time cooking. And, and uh, I mean, uh, there's just no way, you know. Now, if somebody came to me and said, Pastor, we'd love to open up a food bank, you know, and I'll run everything. I'll take care of everything. You know, I would think about it. You know, I wouldn't even say we would do it, but I would at least think about it. But uh, so I don't know who told the community we're going to do that. I never said we, I never, have you ever heard me say my greatest desire is to cook? (laughs) You know, that's not, uh, that is not me at all, at all, right? Uh, When when Chris is out of town, me and Jerry look at each other, you know, what are we going to do? You know, start looking at the dog and the cat, you know, maybe we can put them in a microwave or something, you know? Uh, And uh, we really don't do that, but, uh, uh, and so, so uh, Paul said uh, that uh, we can be one of one spirit and one mind striving together. Uh, and so, you know, that, that word uh, striving there, uh, it's kind of a strong word. Uh, and it implies that there is some effort, right? And, and it does take effort to stay in unity. Amen. Uh, because I can guarantee you, if you stay at a church any length of time, there will be opportunities for you to be out of unity with the church, right? If the church is doing something, well, I don't think we should do that. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I've got a pastor friend of mine down in, um, in Georgia. Uh, he said he had a family come to the church, and they were a good family. You know, they got along great, you know. Christmas time came around. They decorated the church for Christmas, and the, the family came to them and said, well, let us know when you take down all, all of these uh, pagan symbols. We'll come back to church. <laughs> so he's like, okay. You know, uh, you don't care, you know, okay, you know, whatever. 
Uh, so in that, in that area, then that, that family is not going to be of one mind with the church, right? Um, and, uh, and really, you know, I, uh, and I'm not going to rehash all of the times I've had people come to me and tell me stuff like that. It's really hard to change people's minds like that. Uh, that they're so, they pick something that's so obscure and make such a big deal out of it. They really, I mean, they've got no doctrine for it and, and you can't win them over because there's no Bible for, for thou shalt not have a Christmas tree. So, um, so I don't really know why they pick such things. You know, they're going to die on the hill of a Christmas tree, right, uh, over that. And so they can't be in unity in that. Because, you know, I used to love when I was with my pastor, we'd have these big, you know, it, was, it wasn't a huge church, about 100 people, 150 people in a church. But the amount of talent that was in that small church, I mean, you would not believe them guitar players and saxophone players. And I mean, my wife played a saxophone, but there was an, another saxophone player and a trumpet player, a couple of trumpet players, uh, a uh, flute player, uh, a uh, clarinet player. I mean, you know, they had five or six horn players, uh, which is unusual for a church that size to have that many horn players, right? And then a couple of guitar players and bass players and, you know, at least six singers and yeah, and that was just the people that could fit on the stage. And then uh, at Christmas time, you'd have all kinds of, you know, I mean, you were in some of those Christmas programs, right? The amount of talent was there was, and I always enjoyed that, right? I always enjoyed all, all of the, the talent shows there at the Christmas. It was just entertainment, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, well, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, fine, then, you know, stay home and cry, I guess. But, uh, but it was, you know, it just, it was fellowship, right? It, it, there was no doctrinal statement about it. And, and, um, but, you know, somebody got mad one time because uh, somebody sang, the song, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. And they said, they're up there preaching, singing about uh, adultery up there. You know, what's wrong with those people up there singing about adultery, you know? And it's like, well, you know, you ever actually listen to the song? I mean, you know, <laughs> well, I don't believe you ought to be singing anyway. Whatever, you know, fine, fine, you know. But, uh, uh, but <laughs> they got mad because of some song about, uh, about um, adultery, which, of course, it wasn't about that, you know, but... Um, uh, and so, anyway, all of that to say that uh, Paul said that you've got to strive together. Amen. Uh, and, and I think it's helpful for, for any church to strive together to be in unity. Because in unity, we know all, all kinds of stories in the Word of God about unity, right? That uh, one could put a thousand flight, two could put ten thousand flight. Uh, Any time that the, that the building shook, that, you know, the Bible says they were all in one accord, singing and praising uh, uh, to the Lord, singing praises to the Lord. Uh, and so uh, anytime there's great unity in a church, great things happen. Uh, and it's to the church's advantage for everybody in the church. So not just the pastor, of course, but everybody in the church to strive to be in unity. Right. So uh, and, you know, even if there's some some differences of opinions, that's where the striving comes in. Right. That you've got to strive to still stay in, in walking in love when there is a difference of opinion. Right. Uh, and not just fuss and get mad and kick the dog out and, and, you know, give somebody what for. And, you know, I told you somebody came to me and said, I'm wrong for, for using a book for healing school. You shouldn't teach out of any book other than the Bible. Really? So all the ministers are, are worthless? You know, you, can, you should only learn things from the Bible. So I, I can't learn anything from Bible school. I, should, I shouldn't learn anything from any minister. I mean, it's, and the whole premise was completely absurd, right? I mean, just... But, I mean, they were mad about it, you know. In fact, they left the church about it. Well, you're just wrong. Okay, um, sorry about that. But, um, um, and I, you know, I don't usually, uh, you know, if someone comes to me that at me, I just let them talk and then they're going to move on. But in that case, I did, I did sense it was okay to actually try to help them. And I said, I'm going to try to help you here. I said, I'm probably not going to be able to, but I'm going to help you here. Uh, you're telling me this is wrong, that all these people, the revelation that God gave to them, that I can't learn anything from that revelation, that I should only learn, lean upon my own revelation the Lord's given to me. Uh, yeah, well, but the Bible says that, that, that what we know is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those that have gone before us. All, all of us, every doctrine that all of us believe was built upon the foundation of somebody else. I know we've got the word of God, but somebody explained that doctrine to us. Did you know all the Bible by yourself? Did you not listen to anything that any minister ever said? What's the difference between going to church and listening to me preach versus reading a book that somebody else wrote? I mean, it's the same doctrine, right? it's the same revelation. Uh, and so they just couldn't get in unity about that. And, and uh, every, time I'd, every time I'd get up and, and uh, uh, say, we're going to start chapter 10 or chapter 11, they'd get mad. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you know, 
I had uh, one person get mad at me because we were teaching on uh, possessing the land. Remember the Old Testament in, uh, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy specifically as they were about to go on into the promised land, Moses spent a lot of time saying, when you go into the promised land, you've got to possess the land, right? It's yours to possess. And the Lord showed me how, how the river Jordan was a type of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the crossing the Red Sea was a type of the baptism into the body of Christ. The river Jordan was a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we went through And so we went through and showed how all the blessings were on the backside of the river Jordan that they were supposed to get. They weren't on the backside of just uh, salvation. They were on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and so we went through all kinds of prosperity, protection, deliverance, safety, uh, health, and, and all these things. Uh, and and you know, I thought it was a pretty good teaching. You know, I still think it's a pretty good teaching. But we got up one Sunday morning and, and said, let's open up the Deuteronomy. And so we'd already gone through greetings and, and, and announcements and praise and worship. And I said, let's open the Deuteronomy. They got up and left. The, in the middle of service, got up and left the service, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then got mad and said, I'm not teaching anything. Uh, but that's because they're not in unity of, of one heart, right? And... And it wasn't me. They can go anywhere. They're always going to be the same. People like that will always be the same, right? They, they can never be in unity. You know, I had one guy come to the church one time and said, uh, uh, what do you, uh, well, the first question he asked me is, do I believe in women preachers? And, uh, and I said, well, you mean like, do they exist? Or what do you mean, do I believe in them, right? And of course, I was just messing with him. I know what he meant, uh, which is just an absurd question, right? But um, he said, I've been to all kinds of churches in, in, this, in this area, and none of them teach what I want to hear. <laughs> I like well you uh, I mean you will never find a church that preaches everything you want to hear that's the point of you going to church right is to hear things that cause you to change and grow in the Lord right if you already agree with everything then well, why are you even going to church if you already know everything right uh, of course none of us know everything uh, but um, but uh, and I had one fella uh, it was bragging he said I've been thrown out of 14 churches because he was a uh, uh, instigator right he'd go into churches and, and stir them up stir up things right stir up trouble in a church and so they'd ask him to leave and he you, took it as a badge of honor well, i'm going to shake the dust of uh, uh, you know dust off my feet from this church no no uh, you're going to get in big trouble with the lord jesus what you're going to get right uh, and so uh, so uh, now this is not an excuse for the church to say no matter what i say you have to believe that right that we that's not good doctrine right uh, you should never have the opinion that whether the pastor says it it's gospel that's not true right that's not that's not at all true uh, we know the story in, in in acts 17 right where the bereans where paul went to the bereans and the, the the bible says that the bereans were more noble than the thessalonians because they searched the scriptures to see if everything that paul said was so uh, and so they were in unity with paul but they wanted to double check it, right? And so they wanted to confirm that what Paul was saying was so. Uh, and so in that regard, you know, they, they got in unity with Paul because they confirmed that what he said was in the word. And that's really, uh, if people would do that, if everybody would do that, that, that whatever the pastor says, uh, if they would go to the word of God and say, does it say that? And if the answer is yes, then it's not that I said it. I don't really, the word of God says it, right? So, so and I've had people get mad at me and I say, well, I didn't write it. The, the word says it, right? And and then, well, I was doing, uh, and, uh, and, and there are plenty, plenty of people that if you read a verse out of the Bible and they don't like it, well, I don't believe it that way. I, I'm just reading it, you know, and that's usually what I do is just read what the word says and uh, I'll give a little commentary on it. But to me, for the most part, it's just here's what the word says. Right. Uh, and so. Uh, so he said striving together. Uh, so there there is uh, there is. Uh, an effort. In fact, the word strive there has the connotation of uh, there's competitive games, right? So it's, it's, it, it's, it's a fight to stay in unity, right? Um, uh, and who do you think's got the most to gain from a church being in disunity? Well, the devil does, right? And a church that, that can't get into unity is a church that can never accomplish anything for the Lord because there's too much infighting and, and you can't bring to bear all the, the, the gifts and the talents that a church has. Uh, and I know people, uh, in fact, I, you know, um, uh, many years ago, I knew people that had come to church and they just wouldn't help the church at all. They had great talents and ability, but they never would help 
for anything, right? I mean, it didn't matter if the Lord Jesus was going to be there. Yeah, no, I'm not going to be there. Uh, and and uh, there's always, you're always going to have people like that, right? That, that, that's, uh, that's, that's always going to be the case. Uh, but uh, Paul said here that there is some effort that's necessary uh, to strive together. Uh, and he said, what's the goal? The goal is for the faith of the gospel, right? So that us striving together in both spirit and in your soul, that uh, the faith of the gospel can be increased, right? Can be solidified in our hearts and minds as a whole. And if we have faith of the gospel, then there's really nothing that can be held back from the church, right? Uh, and so uh, I would always encourage you, you know, when I was with my pastor, of course, my pastor, he, he kind of had the ability that he was a, he was a 100% kind of guy. He was either 100% really good, but every now and then he'd be 100%. You just had a hard time with things, you know, and, and, um, uh, and so, um, uh, and in that, because of that, there would be people that came into the church whose goal and desire was to destroy the church. And they would come in and whisper, you know, he doesn't really know everything he's talking about, right? And they whisper, you know, what he said was wrong there, you know, and backbiting uh, against the pastor in the church. And, um, and they tried to do that with me, you know, and, and be like, no, you know, uh, whether, whether I agree with him or not, I'm not going to be, be found to be against unity of the church, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, and you're, that's going to happen, right? I mean, it's happened even as you know, we were not a huge church, but it's happened here more than once uh, where people tried to destroy the ministry here. Uh, and, uh, you know, people like that, I'm, you know, I always wonder about folks like that. Like, what are they going to say when they get to stand before the Lord Jesus? You know, I mean, because to me that, that, that alone, that statement, what, what will I say when I stand before the Lord Jesus keeps me on the straight and narrow more than anything else. Not the fear of you or me or even my wife or my dog or cat. It's, I've got to answer to the Lord Jesus. And if I cause strife in a church somewhere, intentionally, right? Now, you know, sometimes things happen, you know, whatever. You know, that's just part of being alive with people. But if I intentionally go and try to, try to destroy a church, what, what do I say to the Lord Jesus when I stand before him, right? Because, uh, you know, there are plenty of people who try to split churches, and then how many innocent people are destroyed from that? You know, that they quit going to church, quit living for God and uh, because of all the turmoil at a church. Uh, and, and it's caused because of somebody wanted to destroy a church and not be in unity. Um, sometimes I, I wonder about folks, you know, have they no fear of God at all? Because if I couldn't hook up with I would just, Lord, do you want me to go? I'll just go somewhere else, you know. And, um, uh, but some people, they just can't go somewhere else. They've got to destroy everything they touch, right? And they'll always be that way. They'll be that kind of person until they repent and Lord Jesus has enough mercy on them to show them. Uh, but they'll probably always be that kind of person, right? Uh, and it's unfortunate. But um, uh, And so I, my goal was always to be in unity with my pastor uh, because I want to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Because together, you know, again, there's nothing that we can't, um, there's nothing that we can't uh, be successful in. And so, um, so the effort then is on your part, right? The effort isn't on my part. I have to work at being in unity. Amen. Uh, and, you know, as a pastor, part of my part of my uh, requirement is uh, when when um, uh, I disagree with something with a sheep, what's my attitude? You know, uh, do I cop an attitude? Well, I'm the pastor. You should just shut up and do what you're told. Uh, and a lot of times uh, and I have seen it over the years where uh, sometimes pastors kind of have an attitude of. Well, I'm in charge. Shut up and do what you're told. And that really shows a disrespect to you all. Right. It shows that I don't respect the spirit of God in you. I don't respect the, the intellect that you have and the talents and abilities that you have because you've got the Holy Spirit. Right. If you've got the Holy Spirit, then it shouldn't be shut up and do what you're told. It should be. Why don't you go and find out from the spirit of God if this is something that you should be involved with or something that you should do. Right. And, and then let the spirit of God tell you as opposed to me demanding it. Uh, and so. Uh, it should never be shut up and do what you're told. It should be, here's what the word says, uh, and, um, and then you decide, right, if that's what the word says. Uh, and so, uh, because my goal is to, is to always have a strong level of unity in the church, and I believe, you know, we do have a strong level of unity here in the church, uh, and, uh, and, and my goal is to, is to maintain that and keep that, you know, as we grow and increase to make sure that we stay in unity, amen? And part of that is being a shepherd that when, when we have wolves come in, you know, I'll deal with it. And, and, uh, 
I got no problem with asking people to not come back, you know. I mean, I, it won't bother me a bit, you know. Uh, now, I will have long suffering for people. I don't, I don't want to just throw people out for every little thing. Uh, but um, but when, when contentions and strives, strifes come up and the Lord instructs me to deal with it in a certain way, then I'll, I will deal with it, right? Uh, and some, some ministers, are, are, they're afraid of the people, right? They're afraid, well, if I go correct them, they'll leave. But the thing is, I don't correct somebody just because they need correcting. Because even if I see something wrong, my first instinct is not to go correct him. My first instinct is to pray. And Lord, you know, what do you want me to do about it? And if he says nothing, then you know what I'm going to do about it? I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, because they've got the Spirit of God in them. And he may be working on them right now, and, and I would just mess it up if I go uh, uh, out, of, out of order and go try to correct them. Uh, and so... Uh, so, uh, my goal is to, is to follow the Spirit of God in all that we do here, right? And so, um, just because I see something wrong in somebody's life, and, you know, just in prayer, I'll see things in people's lives that need help, uh, and I may never say anything about it. I'll just continue, continue to pray about it, and if the Lord prompts me to go do something, I will. But it's, it's actually pretty rare that the Lord says, you go, you go tell them, you know? Because it's really hard for people to be called out, even if it's private, you know, to be corrected about something that maybe nobody else knows but them, right? Uh, and, uh, and so it's, it's oftentimes better to let the Spirit of God do it because he's way better at it than I am anyway, right? Uh, and so because we want to strive together for the faith of the gospel, amen? So to me, that, that elevates faith, elevates the goodness of God, the good news of the Lord, uh, and we get there by being together, Amen. And so my goal is always to, uh, to uh, as to the best of my ability, increase unity uh, in our church. Amen. Uh, and he says, and then in verse 28, he says, And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Uh, and I thought, you know, I thought this was a little bit of an odd uh, verse, just the way it's written, uh, I guess, in the King James. Uh, but... First of all, he's talking about uh, the adversaries, right? Those that are in opposition to you. And so that's, that's, for the most part, that's people outside the church. Every now and then you get an adversary inside the church. But for the most part, it's talking about uh, those that are against the church, right? Those that are against the church as a whole. Uh, and are there adversaries that are against us uh, in the world? Uh, I mean, there's plenty of people, right, against us in the world. Uh, and, and Paul said, and in nothing being terrified by them. Uh, and, um, you know, there are a lot of churches who are in fear. You remember way back in the Bible, right? Remember when, uh, uh, when, uh, when Jesus was doing his stuff, right? And, and the, uh, the Pharisees got mad and said, well, if he keep, keeps on doing this, you know, the Romans are going to take away our position. And then, and then remember, um, uh, remember the blind man um, uh, in John chapter 9? Uh, they asked his parents, you know, who did this? They said, well, we don't know, you know, uh, is he your son and who, you know, is, is he your son? In fact, you know, maybe it'd be good just to read that real quick there. Um, and uh, the story with, uh, with the, the blind man there, John chapter 9. Overall, one of my favorite stories there. Uh, but because um, I love the blind man, you know, I, I'm looking look forward to meeting him when I get to heaven, you know. Uh, and, but in John chapter 9, um, it says... Um, in verse 18, so after he was healed, it says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. And they said unto them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth? We know not, or who hath opened his eyes we know, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now, it wasn't exactly true what they said because of verse 22. It says, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue or excluded from the synagogue, right? So, so what was the deal? They knew it was Jesus. Uh, but... Uh, and they knew that he would have to be the Messiah to, I mean, cause an evident miraculous healing like that, especially from some of those born blind. 
Uh, and, and even the blind man said, you know, from, from the very beginning, no one's ever been born blind has been healed until this man right here. So uh, uh, they said, what do you say of him? He's a prophet. Oh, you, what do you know? He healed me. That's what I know. What do you know about him, right? Uh, and so, uh, so what was the problem with, with, the, with the Jewish parents there? They were afraid, right? They were afraid of the adversaries that they were going to get thrown out of the, uh, the synagogue there, right? Be excommunicated from the synagogue because they confessed the Lord Jesus. And um, what do you think's uh, going on right now? Well, there's all, there's, there, there's all kinds of adversaries against the church, right? Uh, and there are plenty of adversaries in the church, right? Not, not so much in this local church, but in the church as a whole, how many times do people look down on you? Oh, you believe in healing? What's wrong with you? You believe in speaking in tongues? That, that's, for the, that's of the devil. Right? God doesn't do that, right? God doesn't heal. You believe in a free will? You know, what's wrong with you? And they'll look down on you, right? And what are they doing? Well, number one, they're being your adversary, and they're trying to get you to, to cower to their, to their thoughts and, and ideas, and um, they're in opposition to you, right? I told you about the fellow that uh, when I was teaching um, uh, in John fifteen seven about, you know, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Uh, I mean, there's no way around that verse. It's as simple as it could possibly be, right? There's no, there's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden meaning. There's no allegorical meaning. It's just really simple. If you do these things, I'll do these things, right? Jesus said, if you do these things, I will do these things, right? It shall be done unto you, if you do these things. Now, if you don't do these things, I can't do it unto you, right? So, but he said, uh, uh, if you abide in me, uh, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want, right? Uh, uh, and it shall be done unto you, right? Uh, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you will. So did he put a limit on what you could ask? No, because the limit that what you would ask would be, we'd be limiting by, how much you're in him and what he's put in you. So, Lord, I want all the airplanes in the world. Well, did he put that in you? He didn't put that in you, so why are you asking for that? So you, if you're really abiding in him, you would never ask that anyway, because, number one, what would you do with them all? Where would you put them all? Right? I mean, uh, Lord, I want everything. Where would you put it? If you had literally everything, where would you put it? I mean, you know, you already got too much stuff as it is, right? So, uh, so nobody who's actually abiding in him and his words abiding in you Nobody's actually asking for everything. But he, what he's saying is, if you're doing that, then anything you need in, in your life that, that falls in that, that realm, anything, you could ask and it's yours. Uh, and that's, I mean, there's no way around that verse, right? Uh, but, you know, they always go the, to the hypothetical, well, then ask for a pink elephant. Nobody who's abiding in him, whose words abide in them, would ask for a pink elephant. Nobody. So uh, w- w- what about a million dollars? Well, do you need a million dollars? You know, I remember... Uh, George Mueller, uh, he ran the, uh, a very large orphanage in England, like thousands of, of uh, orphans. And he said, you know, it's as easy for me to believe God for a million dollars now as it was to believe God for a dollar when I started. Uh, he said, it takes the same amount of faith for me now. Uh, and so his faith had grown, right? Well, who needs a million dollars? Well, apparently George Mueller needed a million dollars to feed a couple thousand orphans, right? That takes a lot of money to feed, to feed children. Uh, and so, and to house them and to care for them and all that stuff. So, uh, so what's the limit? Well, there's no limit. Whatever's inside of you is the limit, right? Whatever God has put in you is what you should ask for. And, and this fellow came up with the church after church said, you're preaching false hope. Now, in, in what way, if I'm just reading what the Bible says, is that false hope? There's no false hope in that at all. But see, what was he? He was an adversary, Right. And, and, and what he was doing, um, there was a young couple that had been coming to our church, and they were loving it. They'd been there for a couple of months now, like two or three months, and just, they, they'd never heard anything, you know, they'd never really been in a church at all much, and especially been in a faith church. They'd never heard anything of, of the good news of the Lord and faith and healing and all that stuff. And so they got a little nervous. So they brought in this guru. We want, we want you to come and hear him, you know, to confirm whether or not what he's saying is so. Because you're the most spiritual person we know. In fact, they told me, this is the most spiritual person I know. And when I met him, I'm thinking, this is the least spiritual person in the entire universe. I mean, maybe slightly above Pluto, a dead rock, you know, on the outside of the solar system, but 
that may be the only competition he's got, right? As far as being spiritual. Uh, and, uh, and so he came up and told me I was preaching false hope. And that was the last time that couple ever came to church. In fact, as far as I know, that's the last time that couple ever went to any church. Now, this guru, he's got to answer the Lord Jesus for that because they were young Christian, baby Christians, right? Growing up in the Lord. And he, he uh, because he wanted to be somebody and be seen as the guru, he basically got them to quit going to church. So he's an adversary of the Lord Jesus. Now, he thinks he's a great spiritual person. He's not a spiritual person at all, not even close to a spiritual person because, I mean, we're just a local church, right? And, and you should go to a local church. And, uh, and so and he didn't even live in that city. He lived in another state, in fact. Uh, but they brought in the big guns, right? Because he's the most spiritual person I know. And just, uh, you, know, just you know, people like that, just, it's really hard for me not to just toss all my cookies because... The, the, the air, the, 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 like a Pharisee, right? They walk around with this air of, you know, I'm so spiritual. I can't even hardly stand myself sometimes, you know? Uh, and it's a shame because they are an adversary, right? Uh, and, and they will try to terrify people. You know, he tried to terrify me as the pastor to preach things that he approved. Well, I don't answer to you. I mean, I answer to the Lord Jesus, right? I mean, he's the great shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. You know, what I preach, I answer to the Lord Jesus about, you know. And, and if you want to, you know, ask the Lord Jesus to pass everything by you for approval before he tells me what to preach, I guess you could ask him to do that, you know. I imagine I know what the answer would be, but, you know, you could ask, I suppose, right? Uh, Lord Jesus, before you give a message to the pastor to preach, would you please confirm that, uh, that I approve of that, you know? I mean, that's really what he was asking, right? Now, he doesn't really know how to say it in those terms, but that's really what he's asking. Uh, but there are adversaries in the church. There are adversaries outside of the church. There are those who, uh, who are, uh, the word adversary means those that are, that are, are entrenched in opposition to you. Uh, and uh, more, than, uh, more than likely, especially in our society, the majority of our, our, our adversaries will be in the church arrayed against you to not believe, to not have faith, right? You get in other places, you know, I mean, obviously right now, places like the Ukraine, there are real physical adversaries that are trying to kill them and murder them, right? In their physical lives. Uh, and you go to places like China and you go to any Islamic country, you know, there are real adversaries there arrayed against them uh, to destroy the physical lives. When you get into a, a uh, more civilized uh, environment like where we live in where there's not wars every day the adversaries tend to come into the church and try to destroy your faith uh, and so whether they're on the outside trying to destroy your physical life or in the in the side of the church trying to destroy your spiritual life uh, you have to not be terrified about that you have to believe what you believe because that's what the word says and if you'll believe what you believe because the word says you won't be terrified right when somebody looks down upon you be, oh you go to that church right Oh, you go to those faith churches, you know. Oh, you believe in that prosperity message. Oh, you believe in the healing, you know. You believe in speaking in tongues. Guilty on all accounts, right? Is there a firing squad for that? You know, I don't know. But, um, but he said, don't be terrified about any of that. Uh, and really, the, the key is just believe what you believe because that's what the Word says. You know, don't believe it because that's what this church teaches. Don't believe it because what I say. Believe what you believe because that's what the Word says. Amen? And if you, and if you live in that... It's really easy not to be terrified when you get important sounding people coming around you and kind of stiff arming you because, you know, I've been not invited to lots of important events around here. You know, uh, it's OK. Right. Um, uh, and so uh, because uh, the word says that uh, if you're not terrified, then then that uh, is a is proof where it was this token. That's a proof. So. To your adversaries, just because of the fact that you're not terrified, it's proof to them that, uh, and, and when they were talking about uh, perdition, it's talking about their destruction. Um, and so uh, whoever your adversary is, whether it's inside the church, outside the church, and look, I know Paul says, as much as lie within you, uh, be at peace with all men. And so there may be adversaries against me. I don't have any adversaries, right? There may be people that are arrayed against me, but I don't have any enemies, and all the people that have said all those stories I've told you, that it come to me personally, to the pastor, that, as me as the pastor of this church, and said the most unkind things and the, the worst thing. They're not my enemy. They're not my adversary. I don't, I, I don't count them as that. They, that. Now, they are an adversary to faith. They're an adversary to the Lord Jesus. But they're not my adversary, right? If they're anybody's adversary, they're, they're his adversary. Uh, and so, uh, 
First of all, that makes it easy for me not to be frightened about them, right? Because they're not doing anything to me. They're doing anything they do to the Lord. Uh, but see, even if they don't recognize it, uh, the fact that, that uh, we won't be terrified by them as our adversaries, then uh, see, that's proof to them that uh, they're on the road to destruction. They may not admit it. Uh, you remember that pastor up in Canada? You read about the, the Polish pastor up in Canada? <laughs> I'd like to meet him someday, I think. But uh, uh, they tried to come in on Easter service, right, and, and do some kind of a COVID you know, thing. They couldn't do it on Monday, right? They couldn't do it on Saturday. They had to come in on Easter service, right, which is oftentimes the biggest service of the year, right, for a lot of churches, and just interrupt, you know, disrupt everything. Couldn't do it after service or before service. Had to do it right in the middle of service. And he started calling them Nazis and thugs and, you know, jackboots. And he shoot them out of the church, you know, because they were adversaries. They, they were intentionally went there on that day to, to disrupt the gospel message. Uh, you know, they could have come any day they wanted to. They could have called. They said, can we schedule a time to confirm that you're doing all of the COVID protocols or whatever? They didn't want to do that. And so, uh, you know, they, they were adversaries to the church. And he was fearless, you know, because he, he, he grew up in communist Poland, right, where they would murder you and bury you in the backyard, never be heard from again if you said certain things. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, some people think that pastors should do that, you know. I got no problem with it, you know. If, if, uh, if people want to disrupt the work of the Lord Jesus, they're out of order. Doesn't matter what their cause is, doesn't matter what they think, they're out of order. Doesn't matter if it's the government you know, local, national, federal, state, doesn't matter, they're out of order. Because the preaching of the gospel is the greatest call of the entire earth. Uh, and it, it answers to nobody or nothing, right? Uh, and how much trouble did Paul get into by preaching the gospel everywhere, everywhere he went? And he was not terrified by his adversaries at all, was he? Uh, and, so, uh, and so by not being terrified, it's just proof to them, first of all, that they're set up for destruction. And that goes for those inside the church and outside the church. Uh, and, and but also I like the end of that where he says, uh, you know, for your adversaries, it's proof to them about their ultimate destruction. But to you, it's proof to you about your salvation. So it's a, it bears witness to you. Right. So when you can stand in the face of opposition, stand in the face of your adversaries and not be fearful, you know, that just that encourages you. Right. That encourage. You know, now, you don't have to be hateful to them. Right. You know, I mean, you can argue whatever, whether the guy, pastor in Canada, uh, whether he was correct in how he went about doing it, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, but uh, he was fearless, right? Uh, he, he was not going to cower down to his adversaries. Uh, and now uh, he, he didn't go and, and um, shoot anybody or, or harm anybody like that. Uh, but when they came to his doorstep and tried to interrupt the, the gospel message, you know, then uh, he was taking no part of that. Uh, and so, uh, but for you, uh, when you can develop your faith to the point that your adversaries don't cause you to be frightened or you're not fearful of your adversaries, you know, that uh, Paul said that to, to you, it's a token or a sign or proof of your own salvation. You know, that the, the, the God in you has given you this ability to be, uh, to live without fear. Uh, and we should never live in fear of our adversaries. Amen. Uh, because worst case scenario, they'd send you to heaven. I mean, that would be an upgrade, right? So even if they think they won, they still lost, right? Uh, and so uh, and so, what if we don't get invited to all the, all the fancy meals? And so what if we don't get, uh, you know, from my perspective, um, uh, even though a lot of people don't, don't like what I believe or believe what I believe, I'd much rather uh, have the life that I live with health and prosperity and soundness of mind and fullness of joy. I'd much rather live in that than whatever they're, whatever they're peddling, right? I mean, I live in joy and peace and, and prosperity and health uh, and soundness of mind every day. Uh, what are you offering me that's better than that, right? What are you going to take away that's going to cause me to be better than that, right? Uh, and so uh, I'd much rather live the way that I live and, and live in the joy that I live in than uh, drink whatever you're selling, right? Uh, and so... Uh, but, you know, that, uh, that's not always easy. Some people really struggle when, when uh, ad, uh, adversaries come. Uh, they, they really struggle. And, um, uh, and we don't have a whole lot of time to go into it, but uh, I do know that sometimes uh, with our desire for peace, is peace a good thing? Peace is a good thing, right? Um, but 
peace is not more important than, than the gospel message, right? So if you're going to come and tell me that Jesus isn't Lord or that God doesn't heal or that the Holy Spirit doesn't cause us to speak in tongues uh, and I want to be at peace with you and just capitulate and say, well, you're right. You know, well, you know, we all have differences of opinions, you know, and, and yours is fine, mine is fine. We're all fine, you know. Um, you know, sometimes we will compromise with the desire to be at peace, right? Uh, and, um, uh, you know, you're not required to do that. Uh, and I think uh, the next couple of verses, we'll talk a little bit more about that mentality that uh, sometimes people will desire to be at peace uh, really just for the sake of peace, not not because um, uh, it's because some people, uh, Paul said, you know, not all men have faith. Some people are just not going to believe. Doesn't matter what you do, what you say, some people just are not going to believe. Uh, and it's not my responsibility to make them feel comfortable because they choose not to believe, right? I'm not going to go out of my way to make them uncomfortable, but, you know, if they just don't want to believe, I can't help them, right? And so, so we can live fearless, right? We can live not ever being terrified of our adversaries in the church, out of the church, you know, uh, wherever they re- reside, uh, we're not going to be in fear for them. And, you know, that's just proof to them that there's really a God in heaven, that they're on the way to destruction. And it's, and it's helpful to you as a testimony to you that, you know, uh, the Lord really does live inside of me. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. And, Father, we thank you that we can live a life without fear of anybody who's our adversary, Father, whether they threaten even to throw us out of the church, uh, Lord, or they threaten to, to uh, do harm to our physical bodies or, or threaten us to, to uh, um, keep us out of certain social circles or whatever the, whatever the threat that they provide. Father, we thank you that we can live without fear. That regardless of what they do or, or say against us, uh, we'll always be okay. Uh, and we thank you, Father, that uh, it'll be a token and a sign and a proof to them, first of all, Father, that uh, they can't intimidate people of faith. And for us, Father, we thank you that it's a testimony to our own hearts uh, of our salvation, that you do live on the inside of us. And so, Father, we will walk strong in faith, and we will not turn to the left or right uh, because of adversaries, Father. We will stay the course regardless of what people say or do. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is, is the Lord good? Yes, He's good all the time. Amen. Well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. And, um, um, you know, I have found that it, it doesn't matter how big or small a church is, that there, there are adversaries in the church. Amen. And so come ahead, Mr. Jared. And, uh, you know, I don't believe at all that we're unique, that, well, somehow people just really like to pick on us. I don't believe that we're unique in that. You know, I just think that anytime faith goes forward, the devil tries to oppose it. Amen. Uh, and because we teach faith and teach the, the blessings of God, the goodness of God, that the devil hates that. Right. And he will send his minions here to to uh, to try to terrify us. But he'll send them to any church that's preaching faith. Amen. Uh, and I would wonder if, if any church is not having any opposition, are they teaching faith, right? Because if there's no opposition, you know, then the devil must not be afraid of them, right? And so I don't know. I'm not my job to judge any other church, but uh, I, I know that uh, we've had plenty of situations like that here, and we're not even that big of a church right now, but, um, uh, but we've seen plenty of it, right? Uh, but like I said, we're not unique in that. We're not, oh, we're the only ones getting persecuted. Every church is getting persecuted is teaching faith, Amen. Uh, And so be blessed, have a wonderful week, Lord, and we'll see you on Sunday.